a podcast. Did your radio show get canceled? Fire, fire, fire. Low down and filthy, but the discipline is on point. Schooled myself, made my own dojo. A cold flow with the whole dose of soul. Maintain composure, even in theory. An anomaly, properties undiscerned. All right, this week on Repeat, the the Planner Show and various other titles of the show, uh, we're going to talk about your 401k. I want you to understand it on a little deeper level. Like what changes are going on in the 401k industry? You'll know last year on uh, last week tonight with John Oliver, he did this critical look at 401ks and how they're not great. And I widely disagreed with that piece that was on. Uh, you, you can look it up on your own time. Uh, but I, I want to talk to a true uh, retirement plan expert, a workplace retirement plan consultant uh, for that matter with uh, locked in retirement services. His name's Rick Unser. He's also the host of 401k Fridays podcast. He's a good friend of mine. Hey, hey, Rick, how are you? Pete, I'm doing great. Uh, I, I know before we get into the what's going on in the 401k world and target date funds and all these sorts of fun things. Yeah. How, how about the John Oliver 401k piece? You got to love that, right? Yeah, that was a nice drive by shooting. Yes, it was not great. It was not great. So by the way, if, if you want to know what I'm talking about and you're listening right now, go look it up on YouTube, whatever, uh, John Oliver, 401k, whatever. And uh, I disagree with 95% of it. And it was pretty misrepresentative of, of how things work, but that that's okay. Rick, um, what are the hottest trends right now in 401k? I know sometimes as participants in a 401k, and I'm a participant in a 401k, those changes sort of just happen to us and we don't get a vote necessarily. So what are some of these changes happening right now? Well, one of the first ones is target date funds are taking over 401k plans. Totally. And if you look at any data point out there, you'll see that billions of dollars of money is flowing into target date funds. And the vast majority of all that is coming from 401k plans. So Pete, to your point, sometimes you don't get a say in things. Well, one of the reasons that so much money is going into target date funds is trends like automatic enrollment, which we can chat about a little while, or excuse me, a little bit later. Um, things like plan defaults when people are making changes between providers instead of saying, hey, you were in cash in a bond fund and a stock fund, we'll keep you in that when we move to our new 401k provider. We're just gonna default you or place you into a target date fund. And if you wanna do something different, you certainly can, but little things like that are adding tremendous amount of money into the target date fund coffers uh, and also introducing more participants to target date funds in their 401k accounts. Yeah, so let's do a couple things. We're gonna define target date fund. We're gonna talk about why they're not all the same. Uh, and mm -hmm. we're gonna talk about the pros and cons of, of target date funds in general. What's the, the best way that you described, uh, describe target date funds to participants? So target date funds, unlike some other types of funds that have a wonky name to them, maybe they're called the enterprise large cap fund or they're called the you know something else or another, and they have maybe a small or large or mid or international in them. Target date funds are designed based on the year at which you would hypothetically retire. Mm -hmm. Most funds are designed and managed based on when somebody would turn age 65. So if you look in your 401k plan and you see a XYZ target date fund 2040, that's designed for somebody who would be retiring in 2040, 
which Pete, keep me honest on my math here, but that would be someone who's roughly 45 years old today. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, 40, 42, 43, but more or less 45. And the whole point, right, Rick, is that uh, instead of a, a participant like trying to figure out which of the investments they want, they just choose that one target date fund, the 2040 fund. And then, then what happens is uh, the fund, the 2040 fund, uh, puts you on a glide path, which you're going to explain. Uh, and the glide path changes your investment mix as you get closer to that retirement date. Is that, is that a decent way to say it? Yeah, absolutely. And the reason some people love target date funds and the reason some people hate target date funds is because in concept, they're pretty darn simple. So sticking with that 2040 example, you've got 20 years until retirement, you have a certain amount of your investments automatically invested in stocks, you have another percentage of your investments invested in bonds, and then maybe a little bit in cash, maybe depending upon the target date strategy or philosophy, they have a few other things mixed in there. But there's not a lot for you to do other than say, hey, I plan to retire around the year 2040, and all of those decisions are made for you today. Now, as you mentioned, there is this thing called a glide path, which says, all right, I am 20 years away from retirement today, and what do we know about most investment theory? Well, the closer you get to retirement, your money should gradually get more conservative, meaning you're taking less risk, less exposure to equity or stocks, more bonds, more cash, et cetera. So, when that happens, as you get older, as you get closer to your retirement date, your target date fund automatically changes the allocation, meaning it gets more conservative for you without you having to do anything. So there's a certain firm out there that says, hey, set it and forget it. And that is one of the pros or one of the appeals of target date funds for some participants is they really just don't have to think about it once they decide which fund they want to be in. Yeah, there's a couple things there that occur to me. Number one, and let's uh, we'll get to this in a second, but the idea that it's almost as though a person's individual risk tolerance doesn't matter anymore when it comes to target date funds. So we'll get to that comment here in a second. But yep. then the other thing is you can easily see how two different target date funds with different companies can be vastly different because the glide paths can be different. And I'm just picking a number out of the air here. Let's say at age 65, one target date fund says we prefer you be 30% in bonds, uh, you know, 80 or 80% in stocks, that would be 110%, right? Uh, 70%. <laughs> hey, you're the math guy. I'm yeah. depending on you to do the numbers here. Yeah. So you know what I mean? But like then another one could say, no, we want people at 40% bonds and age 65. So those two glide paths, those two asset uh, mixes will create vastly different outcomes for people. So when a 401k committee, which is the group of people at the company you work for that help choose which investments are within your 401k, Rick, uh, that's a lot of responsibility because just two different targeting funds from two different companies can give such different results. Yeah, and one of the things I like to say to the committees that, that I work with is you've seen one targeted fund, you've seen one targeted yeah, fund. Yeah, exactly. And not everybody gets that, but w one of the slides that we use is this really ugly, and it's, and it's very offensive to the eyes, <laughs> but it's a bunch of lines just running across the page, and somebody looks at that and goes, you know, did you give a crayon to a kid and just tell him to go crazy on the page? Well, no, that's actually the top 40 glide paths of the major target date providers, and there's not one that overlaps the other, meaning there's not one that's exactly the same as the other. Some start out 
you know, I'll, I'll go backwards here. Some start out when you're young with much higher exposure to equities, you know, some as high as 90, 95 percent in equities, some maybe around 70 percent in equities. And then, Pete, to your point, as you get closer to retirement, then everything diverges from there. Some people stay in more aggressive, higher equity glide paths for a longer period of time. Some don't make changes uh, very quickly. Some change very quickly. So it, it really is very, very, very different in the way that target date funds are constructed. And for those retirement plan committees or fiduciary committees, whatever word you want to ascribe to them who are making decisions, if they're not familiar with some of the differences, it is tough to to really tell the difference between one fund and another. And unfortunately, what a lot of people do is just look at performance. And the, whether that's an end user, a plan participant, or whether that's a committee, that's the lowest common not denominator that a lot of people resor resort to, as well as fees. And those things are not always the best way to evaluate a target date fund because, hey, you know what, Pete? The target date funds that have the best performance right now as we sit here in mid-2018, guess what? They're probably not going to perform as well over the long term uh, in terms of uh, – aren't necessarily going to per, uh, perform as good over the long term. Yeah, maybe not. And But the ones that have the best performance today are also the ones that have the most equity exposure to them along their glide path. So, so even, yeah, so if someone's 65 years old and they're getting great performance, if the market were to turn, uh, they could get hammered. Absolutely. So, you know, somebody to your point who's 65 and goes, all right, I got it. I'm going to retire in 2020. OK, now let me look at all these different target date funds I could choose from either in my IRA or, or I'm going to select the one in, in my 401k, whatever the case is. And they're looking at, oh, this one has the best performance of the bunch. So let's let's do that. Well, unwittingly, just based on the market environment we're in right now, they very well could have selected one of the most aggressive target date strategies out there in the market because they don't take that extra time or, or just aren't equipped with the tools to look at and, and evaluate how does their design or glide path either vary or uh, uh, you know, have a different construction than others that are available to them. Yeah, there's a couple additional points here. N number one, these target date funds were created, I don't know, a decade ago maybe? Does that sound about <laughs> right? Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And it's I chuckle about this every now and then because Target date funds got their popularity from the Pension Protection Act, which was passed back in 2006. Okay, 12 years And ago. by the time they actually all those provisions that, that Congress and everybody else created and signed off on, it became law. And, and by the time some of these provisions got implemented into 401k plans, it was 2008. Yeah. So target date funds existed prior to 2008, but they were really – this kind of novelty strategy that not a lot of not many people used. And then all of a sudden, this Pension Protection Act came out and said, hey, we think target dates are a good thing. We're going to give a plan special fiduciary protection if they implement them as a default investment within their plan. So lo and behold, a lot of plan sponsors said, yes, we now love target date funds. And what what else do we know happened in 2008 when target date funds started gaining in popularity? The market died. The market died. You know, so, I, I think about what happened before 2008, I guess to before 2006 for that matter. You start your job, you are allowed to sign up for the 401k, you sign up, they give you your investment lineup, and like millions and millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, you go, I don't, I don't know what the hell to do, right? And, and so that became this like, I have no idea what to choose. I have an option of 30, uh, you know, 30 funds. 
how am I supposed to construct a portfolio? Do I go all or nothing? People didn't know. And so the target date funds were meant to bring this level of simplicity. Uh, but Rick, what I think they've done is a couple of things. Number one, they're incredibly complex behind the scenes as we, as we just talked about. But, but what they've done is uh, they've created a scenario in which it's almost as though a person's individual risk tolerance no longer matters that we're only going to manage money based on time horizon. How and why is that? So that's a, that's a great point. And you're absolutely right. To the extent that your employer has selected a target date series for you, they're not looking at your specific risk tolerance. Hopefully what they're looking at is they're looking at some statistics within your plan and they're looking at things like average account balance, average age. Those elements are all very important as employers start thinking about what target date they should align with. But that is one of the cons of target date strategies is that, hey, you're kind of lumped in with everybody else who falls within an age band that should be in with that specific vintage of target date fund or that particular year that that fund is managing towards as a retirement year. Now, what I will tell you, and this is where the geek in me kind of has some fun, and, and I've talked a lot about this on my podcast, there's a lot of very big philosophical differences between how target date funds are designed. Some funds are designed to take more risk because they align better with plans that employers feel like our participants are not saving enough. We right. have lower average account balances. We have uh, participants that need every advantage that they can through extra risk in the market to earn an extra return that will help supplement maybe a savings deficiency or low average or low account balance. Yeah, but there seems to be a fundamental, in my opinion, uh, and please disagree, there seems to be a fundamental flaw with that thinking, though, because if people are behind, and I'm going to make a broad, horrendous generalization here, if people are behind the eight ball in terms of savings, maybe their financial education level isn't as high as we'd like it to be. So it seems putting them in risky portfolios where they may not understand the ramifications of risk reward in the market, this seems like they could have a negative impact, especially during tough times when they might bail and of course break the cardinal rule of investing and sell low and then buy back at high. And you've hit on one of the points that I think is a little bit underestimated in the market right now by employers, by planned fiduciaries, in that target date funds, as we talked about, were really launched in 2008 in any type of popularity or mass adoption. And they were launched at the beginning of obviously this collapse in the market, the collapse in the financial system, which albeit the, you know, the devastation was large, but it was also pretty quick. So, I mean, we hit bottom in March of 2009. So what a lot of the target date providers say is, well, hey, our abandonment rate, you know, to your point, <laughs> yeah. Pete, that's the fancy word for people getting out of their fund out of a target date fund at the wrong time our abandonment rates are are historically low of course and are they so are so much better than any other types of investment well to your point hey since two, since march of 2009 we've had nothing but puppy dogs and kisses in the market and we're coming up on a you know almost a 10 year bull market run here so there hasn't been a lot of reason for people to get nervous or concerned about their target date funds because to the extent that they're checking their statements or logging on, yeah, they're generally seeing things are pretty stable or they're or they're increasing in value. So there's not a whole heck of a lot to get concerned about. 
You know, I've said in the past to people who ask about them, I'll say, if you don't know what you're doing and you're willing to know or to admit you don't know what you're doing, you have two options. You can either A, hire someone that knows what they're doing to help you allocate your, your 401k funds, or just go into a target date fund because they're really built for people that have no idea what the hell they're doing. Now, if you know what the hell you're doing, you probably aren't in a target date fund. Is that wrong on any level? I think it depends on the individual. I know some people that say, hey, I have an advisor that I work with for my assets outside the plan. And in the 401k, I just want to keep it simple. I don't want to have to think too much about it. I don't want to have to pay any more for someone to manage this. We have a target date fund. It is simple. I understand the philosophy behind it. I'm just going to let it go. Okay, that's fair. That, I guess that would so, be the fourth category. That That is true. Yeah. Yeah, so I think there's some people that will approach it that way. Um, I, I think that there are others that, yeah, that, that know what they're doing or have strong convictions about how they feel their money should be managed or work with an advisor that has strong convictions that they uh, – and generally speaking, people like that do not like target date funds because they view them as overly simplistic. They don't take into account risk or outside assets you might have beyond a 401k plan. So for some people, you're absolutely right. They can be – a little bit too simplistic, a little bit too generic for their tastes, and they'll decide to do other things. And let's not forget, I mean, it's this is worth noting, of course, is that you, you do have generally higher fees in a target date fund than you would have if you constructed your own portfolio within your individual options within your plan. I, it really all depends. You know, there are, there's a big movement within target date funds as well in that initially a lot of the the first movers in the target date industry were actively managed strategies where to your point you are paying a little bit more for active management but over the last couple of years the vast majority of that money that's been flowing into target date funds has been flowing into passive or indexed based strategies where some of the fees for being in a target date fund are you know high single digits in expense ratio or low double digits so so, you know, six, seven, eight percent, excuse me, six, seven, eight basis points, maybe 12, 14, 16 basis points, somewhere in that range. So if you're looking at just raw investment management costs, there are some fairly fee efficient target date strategies out there. Now, there might be some additional costs layered in on that, depending upon how your 401k plan is structured and how other fees are being accounted for. But there are some target date strategies out there that are very fee conscious if you're okay with the trade-off that what you're getting is passive or index-based management. Yeah, we talked about investment committees a little earlier. And again, this is generally a group of your coworkers uh, that, uh, what, Rick, volunteer their time to, to help put the investment options within your plan that you get to choose from. Is that a succinct way to, to say what they do? Yeah, and, and the way a lot of companies structure it is they have certain positions that de facto sit on the committee. CFO so, and, well, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, your chief financial officer, your vice president of human resources, your general counsel, your vice president of finance or operations or so the titles will vary. But typically there's going to be three to five people that are going to sit on that committee and make decisions about your retirement plan that should be in your best interest and should be guided and motivated in a way to help you save more money and have a better chance of successfully reaching your retirement goals in a timely fashion. 
All right, so I'm going to frame this in the most positive way possible because there's a way to ask my next question that's really judgmental. I think that commi the committee has an incredible challenge because oftentimes, especially with someone with a financial mind like a CFO, the way they make decisions with their money and how they understand money is so vastly different than the people they're making decisions for that I feel like mistakes can be made because of a disconnect between how you should do it and how people do do it. And, and, and Rick, from what I've seen in doing this for quite some time is, I think sometimes the investment committee uh, gets themselves in trouble because they don't fully understand the financial realities of the people they're making decisions for. Uh, how do you feel about that? I you're uncomfortable. <laughs> no, I, no, I, I, I agree with you, but I also have seen some amazingly breathtaking exceptions. Of course, where yeah. I, I feel like there are some committees in some very challenging demographics. Meaning, where you know, when, when I say challenging demographics, I'm talking about where you have large workforces of lower paid employees, where you have large workforces where people are moving in and out of jobs uh, fairly quickly, high turnover, yeah. et cetera. That's tough. Yeah, no, it's absolutely tough. But I, and I think there's some committees that I've worked with over the years that are amazingly in tune with the realities of their of their workforce and do not want to overcomplicate things, want to make decisions that are going to help them join the plan, save, get invested, start their journey to retirement. Uh, but Pete, to your point, I absolutely agree. And this is something I've, I've talked about on my podcast as well, is sometimes you've got and let's just pick on the CFO for a minute. Please do. You know, the, you, sometimes you've got the CFO sitting in an ivory tower who has been through years and years and years of financial training, who is very well equipped with what's going on in the market, very well equipped with investment concepts. And you talk about some simplistic strategies to help the average employee. And well, hold on a second. Doesn't everyone know they need to be contributing yeah. in the 401k plan up to the match? Why wouldn't anybody do that? That's, you know, that doesn't make sense. Or, of course, you need to invest more aggressively when you're young. Everybody knows that. Why do we need a target date fund to help someone realize that? So you, you definitely can see those, uh, you know, those two extremes. And I think that one of the values of having a committee is and, and, a, and a good functioning committee is while you might have someone on the committee who has that viewpoint, there are others hopefully on the committee that can say, well, yes, I understand what you're saying. Here's the reality of our workforce and hopefully you can find a, a little way to meet in between. Uh, what other trends are going on right now? What, what sort of changes could a person potentially see come 2019? Changes that were made in their plan the last few months uh, of 2018? Yeah, I, and Pete, I think this one will maybe hit it. I think one of your, one of your soft spots, and it, this kind of all wraps up under the theme of you can't invest your way out of a savings problem. Yeah. One of the one of the biggest movements that we've seen within retirement plans over the last several years is the introduction of what the industry calls auto features. And what that means is automatic enrollment, automatic contribution increases. So for the average employee in English, you might be put into your retirement plan without you having to do anything. 
So whether it's at your next open enrollment, which for a lot of people I know are coming up as you set your elections for your health insurance or dental insurance, uh, what a lot of companies either could do or maybe will redo is say, hey, if you're not in the 401k plan today, come January 1st, unless you tell us otherwise, we're going to put you in the 401k plan. We're going to start you out at a 6% contribution rate. And if you still don't do anything the year next year, you're going to have an automatic increase, meaning your contribution rate will go from 6% to 7% and then eventually to 8, 10%, et cetera. So what is that doing? It's helping more employees kind of get over that inertia point of saying, of doing, excuse me, of moving from not being in the plan to in the plan, saving, hopefully getting an employer match if your employer has one and on your path to retirement, maybe sooner and more purposefully than if you had been left to your own devices to make those decisions on your own. Yeah. I have a, I love hates a little strong, bittersweet. I don't know. I, I hot, cold, maybe I, I, I feel I think those are great. I, I feel like they involuntarily change people's behavior. I think to have a successful retirement, though, a voluntary, purposeful shift in behavior is necessary. And so I know within our industry that over the last few years, people really are, are pleased with some of the changes in contribution levels via these auto programs. But I have to say they are part of the solution but by no means even a majority of the solution, right? I agree. And I heard somebody say this the other day that I, and I think it, and it made a lot of sense in my head is a lot of what goes on in the 401k plan is creating revelations or kind of making light bulbs go off in people's heads. So to your point, automatically enrolling somebody in a plan, defaulting them or placing them in a target date fund increasing their contributions over the years, maybe that makes a light bulb go off for somebody that says, wow, okay, I actually have a 401k balance now. I'm getting a statement. Maybe I should do something with this. Maybe I should learn a little bit more about how it works. Maybe I should talk to somebody and get a little more information about how I should be saving for retirement. What, what other things in my life should I be doing? And that was something that I think made some sense to me because I agree with you that all of this is good. All of this is moving in the right direction, but it's not a panacea that says, okay, if you just follow these auto principles, you'll be fine. You can wake up at age 65 and, and have all the money you need to retire. Yeah. And this is anecdotal at best, but I find the most effective uh, strategy for someone to get the right guidance is when your older coworker just grabs you by the ear, the younger worker, and just says, man, load that sucker up. Like put at least 10%, 15% uh, total with the match in there, and you'll be set and you're going to track me down or go to my grave uh, when you're retired and, and thank me because I'll be long dead. I find anecdotally, Rick, that that brings the best results. But again, how, how scalable is that idea? Yeah, no, but it's funny you say that, but that's exactly what happened to me back in the dark ages right. when when I started is back when there were paper forms you had to fill out to join your 401k plan. My boss at the time grabbed my form and said, here, I'm going to fill this in for you. Turn it in and you'll thank me. Yeah. And, and you probably it, do. You know, put, yeah. Put me in at 10 percent, you know, selected four or five different investments and off I went. He was later convicted of fraudulently signing your form. <laughs> And is in a federal penitentiary. 
That's the rest it, of the story. We, yeah, we leave that part out of the story. Um, what are what are other trends? I mean, obviously, if, yeah. Now, now here's what I've seen. I, I've seen you know firms adopt a target date strategy a few years ago, and then come to the realization that oh, now we're going to have different target date options because they've evolved and these are smarter. Uh, options based on what our investment committee says and what the industry is doing. I I'm seeing people switch their target day options uh, w when people thought they were going to be in that one they chose for the rest of their life. Well, it's four years in and they've had two. Yeah. And, and sometimes that will happen based on analysis and sometimes that'll happen based on, hey, we're changing our providers. So we're going to move from XYZ company to Z to ABC company. And as a result of that, we're, we're also changing our target date funds that. So there's a couple reasons that does happen. And sometimes that's that can be a good thing. Uh, I've experienced on my end working with plans where they were completely misaligned on their target date strategy had not a real deep understanding of how it was designed and what that meant for their employees. Uh, you know, one example, I had a committee who chose an indexed based strategy and they liked it because it was low cost and it was index based. And when we came in and were working with them and pointed out that, Hey, I get it. This is cheap. It's low cost. <laughs> right. But when you look at the way this is designed, uh, look at this glide path. You know, do you realize that your employees have 30 or 40 percent less equity exposure than the average target date fund? Good Lord. And the committee just said, wow, we had no idea. That's and funny. so they looked at that and said, this makes absolutely no sense for our younger, higher income earning population, which is mostly what was their largest demographic. So as a as a result, they realign their target date strategy to something that was much more appropriate for their demographics or their workforce. So th there can be ones that are very purposeful and are very um, smart in the way that they go about changing their plans. And then there's others that, that hey, they, they'll change from an active to a passive strategy. They'll change from, hey, we, you know, this was a target date fund that we used because this was the same target date fund that the 401k provider that we work with offered. And at the time, that was our only option available. Now we have others to choose from and we feel this one's better. So, you know, I, I like to be glasses half full and think that most of the changes in target date funds are fairly are, are thought are thoughtful and will benefit participants uh, in the long run. Can you evaluate this statement? Uh, I, I always believe that people should not have multiple target date funds within their retirement portfolio. They should pick that one date, that, that, that one 2040, if that's the date, not go a little bit of 2040, a little 2045, a little 2030. I've always heard and learned and read that, that can throw off your allocation and that can create more problems than it's worth. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, target date funds are designed to be used as a single investment option. Right. Where I have seen people successfully, well, and I don't know if successful is the right word, but <laughs> where I've seen some logic applied to incorporating other investments into your mix is, okay, hey, I'm in this target date fund and I've reviewed the way it's constructed. I don't feel it has enough exposure to emerging markets. Sure. So I'm going to add in a 10% allocation from a single investment option to give me more exposure to emerging markets. And that's smart. Or, I mean, I, I, my, from my opinion, uh, if you know what you're doing, that is a very intelligent way to use target date funds correctly, in my opinion. 
I, I agree. So, but coming back to your point, pick, you know, because you're not sure what target date fund to choose, uh, don't hit the select all button yeah. or, or don't hit the, well, I'm not quite sure what year I'm going to retire. So I'll choose four different ones. It'll give me a 20 year spectrum that I can retire in that, that that's not the best, uh, <laughs> that that's not the best way to, to go about that. I love digging deep on the 401k. It's been a while since, well, first of all, since you and I have got to see each other, uh, even though we're not seeing each other today because we're on the phone, uh, but, but we're also, uh, it's good to dig deep back into 401k. I love your podcast, 401k Fridays. If if people are money nerds and they want to hear it from an industry pers perspective, I, I highly encourage them to listen to your show because they're going to learn more about their retirement plan at work than they ever thought possible. So Rick, thank you very much for taking time with us today. No, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Pete. Always a pleasure. And like you, I, I miss chatting with you. I look forward to seeing you next time uh, one of us find each other in the same geographic area yeah. of this great country. Every once in a while. All right. So that's it for this week's show. Uh, next week, we'll have another special guest. And then back to taking your money lives one person at a time, one week at a time, digging through them, fixing them. It's what you ask for. And it's coming back. I'm Pete the Planner, and this has been this is for information purposes only. Do not misuse financial planning device. Consult a financial advisor. Hi, I'm internet podcaster Peter Dunn. You may know me as Pete the Planner. You hear me on the radio and on your podcasting device, but did you know you can also see me? on YouTube. That's right, we have a YouTube channel and we call it PeteThePlanner.tv. We ask you to subscribe so you can catch great shows like Pete's Eats and this here podcast with drawings. But the drawings are made with a video camera. Subscribe today. Took me home, filled by the ink and the megabytes and the hypertext transfer protocol. Stronger than the Skynet and the Terminator. I push faders into warp speed, glide with ease, creating a breeze. They call a black hole, event horizon, no rear view concerns. This I adjourn, adjourn. and beats I burn, I burn, I burn, I burn. This I adjourn, and beats I burn, I burn. Salutations, I bring you love, trying greetings from a far away land. I am the sole controller. Put the remote down and let me take control. You're now a part of my zone, so enjoy yourself. Love, try can restore your health. I bring you greetings. Uh, salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it?